0: Is the music playing right now? It was playing a second ago. and Now I feel like I can't hear it.
1: This music, is it in the room with you?
0: It's it's not playing right now, right? No, it's not. I guess it's like a new setting on Twitter Spaces. It started playing automatically when I opened the room, which is a nice touch. And then I, I, I touched something and now it's gone unfortunately. (laughs) Let me let Chad know we're in here. And hey, uh, Toberl. Thanks for coming in. Hello, thanks for having me.
2: How do you
1: pronounce your name? Just to make sure we're getting it right.
2: It's Doggirl. You got it right. Awesome.
1: Nice to meet you. I'm Pluto. I'm from the Nine Realms team. Uh, We are, I think, like a. custodian of the protocol, you could say, or, or one of the lead um, teams working on sort of delivering from an operational perspective. So, I run sort of the software release process. I also do a ton of work on the infrastructure and security side of things.
2: Gotcha. Nice to meet you.
0: Sweet. And uh, I'm familiar Cal. I'm a communications director at Nine Realms, so I do not what Pluto does, but Uh, We'll also have Chad up here as well. He should be up here in a minute or two, I think. There he is. Yeah, so I've seen you, uh, Togrel, I've seen you talking the last couple of days about uh, especially the word trustlessness and, and bridges. So I'm kind of curious to see, like, what your general like core thoughts are when it comes to, to bridges, and then I guess maybe we can just go from there.
2: Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, should we wait, or should I start?
1: Well, we got we got Chad B here real quick. Chad, do you want to do a quick
3: intro? Uh, a quick intro of myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Chad B, one of the uh, technical, uh, one of the core devs on the uh, Fortune project.
0: Thanks, Chad. Uh, oh, and uh, Togrel, we didn't get we didn't get your intro, so uh, yeah, what's what's your background?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Togrel. I work at Scroll, which is a CK roll-up that is building on top of Ethereum. Specifically, our roll-up is EVM equivalent. That's the term we like to use. It's uh, basically what it allows you to do is you can copy the code that you deployed on Ethereum, to the bytecode, EVM bytecode. Deployed on Scroll, all, and it will work out of the box. And my background, i uh, my background is in computer science. I've came into crypto in around 2016. Started with Bitcoin, but swiftly moved to Ethereum and been in and around consensus protocols. My main interest is consensus consensus protocols and scaling. So I've been working on sharding and stuff like that for a long time.
0: Cool. So let's uh, let's start off with bridges. I think because I think that's a, a common area of criticism from the, the Thor Chain side, and also from from your perspective. So I'm curious to think like what, what you think about bridges, what bridges do well, like where the security, uh, you know, vulnerabilities lie within bridges, like where, where where what what parts are okay with bridges, and then what parts, uh, you know, really need a second uh, look at in terms of security. So what are your thoughts there?
2: Uh, I, I think, uh, first of all, before I start, I think uh, the problem with bridges in a lot of cases is the fact that we don't really have a concrete definition of what a bridge is and what certain types of bridges are. For Defense has this bridge with, it, with Bitcoin, but because it's enshrined in the protocol, similar to how ThorChain is, they claim that it's not a bridge. So it it's quite it's been quite difficult to discuss what bridges are before because certain people just don't agree on a definition of a bridge so i would say anything that introduces that uh, that uh, basically allows the communication of two independent otherwise independent protocols that introduces an additional assumption is a bridge so let's say if you're connecting a roll up to ethereum it's still a bridge that is connecting the roll up to ethereum and everything else that connects, I don't know, Ethereum to Bitcoin, or, I don't know, a, a repayment protocols, Lightning Network, everything uses a bridge. And then so, we so one, have one the next- So,
3: one question Of to course, yeah. Is, would you consider Binance or Coinbase to be a bridge then, or no? Uh,
2: I, I think on paper it is a bridge because it's essentially an EOA that you deposit money in that can reroute money to another chain. So. On paper, I would say it's still a bridge. It's just a very, very trusted bridge. Okay, so everything. It's all every, a very decentralized.
3: So, by, by your definition, of the term "bridge" basically everything is a bridge.
2: Everything that connects two different independent protocols together is a bridge. Yeah. yeah. Is
1: it is it is it fair to take that definition a step further and say a bridge is any system that represents the same asset on two different networks? because I think that's a bit more narrower of a definition. But I think that's like what uh, an L2 does. That's what like a, a roll-up does. That's what most of our ideas of what bridges are traditionally, or what at least my idea of a bridge would be. Uh,
2: it, the common misconception is that people think that a bridge is when you basically move assets from one bridge to from one protocol to another. But in reality, you can just move messages. So let's say in a roll-up, there is a scenario where you don't actually have to move the assets to the L2. What you can do is you can custody the assets on the L1 bridge contract and then just pass the messages from the L2 dictating what you should do with the assets that are custodied on the bridge. And so you never have to physically bridge the assets, but you can pass the messages that dictate what to do with those assets on the L1. But but is it fair then to
1: say that you're now you're now representing an asset from network A on network B, but network B has an idea of a representation of an asset. Network A has a representation of the of that asset, and the bridge is meant to reconcile this the t- two representations of the same asset on two different networks.
4: It's, it's, it
2: doesn't have to be a representation. So what you can do, for example, is you can create a smart contract on an L1 that allows you to define the spending rules. And the spending rules might might be that a certain L2 message can trigger the spending rules. So technically, you can say that the asset is bridged, but there's no uh, token minted on the other side. You're basically just pass- passing messages from L2 that dictate what to do on an L1. Well,
3: we don't have to get too much into this this kind of detail just because um, I want to hear your, your kind of... Your kind of your your synopsis or your your viewpoint, and we don't we don't get too into the details of the definition of the term bridge. Like as long as we understand what you mean when you say the word bridge, yeah. which in this case you're just saying you're basically saying more or less everything basically is a bridge more or less, and which I, I, I can accept that that your definition temporarily for the purpose of the conversation. Yeah. Fair.
2: So. Um, it, I, I didn't completely understand your question so so my synopsis in terms of different types of bridges or specifically Thor chain
3: well no I, I think I think what cow uh, uh, on the the Thor chain account was just kind of like just kind of get kind of to to get from you your kind of synopsis or your your viewpoint or your your kind of um, uh, uh, um of how bridges are or what it defines as a bridge or this kind of thing and i think you've defined the, the term the term bridge at least from your definition of which is you know we can operate under that, that definition for now um and then the question becomes like i think the next thing that you, that you were talking about it was about about the term trustless like where do, how do you the, the, define the word trustless or do you find a difference between the word trust trustless and the word trust minimized or like how do you how do you see those words in your mind
2: oh yeah for sure so um I would define trustless as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, let's say, a trustless interaction with a protocol would be something where you're running a full node. So there is a certain set of assumptions that you need to make in order to run a full node, and you don't need to add any more assumptions to interact with the asset. So let's say if you're running a Bitcoin full node, you don't need to make any other assumptions to interact with your Bitcoin on chain. Whereas, but you're making some assumption at that point, correct? What's, what, what, uh, you're making assumptions, but they're part of the protocol. So the honest majority assumption is still there, then the synchronicity assumption for the networking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's part of the protocol. I meant yeah, you yeah, don't make any more assumptions on top of that.
3: So are you saying that... Um, sorry, so would you consider something like Bitcoin to be a trustless
2: system? Or would you say trust-minimized if, if you use a full node and you interact with Bitcoin with a full node, yes, it's trustless. It's a okay. trustless mode of operation. You still have trust assumptions, but they're baked into the protocol. You don't add any more assumptions. Okay.
3: But you have, but if you have trustless, if you have trust assumptions, why would you consider it to be called trustless?
2: I, I think the argument there is that we need some kind of a baseline. So let's say if we call this trust minimized, and then we, I don't know the assumption for, some, for a light client, let's say. It's, okay. te- it's technically still trust minimized, but okay. you can't really differentiate between the two. Okay. So
3: I think this is an important point. So um, I think what you're, what you're kind of getting at there is that any particular system, there are assumptions that are being made, whether it be Bitcoin or a bridge or like smart contracts or whatever it might be. There are assumptions that are being made and there are trust aspects that are being placed on you interact with those systems so the term trust is is a is a uh, a scale kind of similar to the word yep. decentralization is a scale right you can be really decentralized yep. or it can be like really centralized and then there's a lot of things in between right and so when you interact with something like bitcoin for example like bitcoin has this concept of like uh, i think it's called n lock whatever but it basically allows you to like lock up bitcoin for like the next 10 years or something like that you can like if you wanted to like get yeah. some bitcoin to your, your your daughter, I mean, you want her to access it until she's like eight years old, you can do that. But even the, the most hardcore bitcoin maximalists will tell you not to fucking do it, right? And the reason why is because uh, there can be some changes made to the bitcoin protocol into the future, yeah, because changes can be made, and all of a sudden the, the rules of that analog system can change underneath you, but you don't have the ability to move your bitcoin or protect yourself. And so, people kind of advise people to not actually use that system. So. So like using using any protocol, because the rules can't be changed, Bitcoin or, or Thorchain or or like you know your l two or whatever it might be, all these things things can change underneath you, and therefore requires trust. And the question becomes like how much trust is there,
2: right? But But the thing is, uh, with Bitcoin, you can still run, run the old version and you'll still guarantee you'll be guaranteed access to those funds at some chain. It doesn't mean that it's going to no, be the you, well, chain that is accepted by everyone. Right.
3: Uh, okay. So I, I just kind of lined up a reasoning of why you could lose your Bitcoin on on, on Bitcoin, like a legitimate oh, yeah, actual of course. thing. Yeah. Now, if your argument is, okay, the rules were changed, and I don't like these new rules, and therefore I will stay on the old kind of old fork, if you want to call it that, soft fork, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, and then you know nobody's mining your old soft fork because all the mining hash rate went to with the the new changes, and so the Bitcoin that you had is now basically worth like probably ten cents because nobody's fucking mining it, right? So yeah, it's effectively effectively goes to zero, right? Yeah. So if if you have your full node and you think you have your Bitcoin, which is in some sense true, it doesn't mean that Bitcoin is worth anything because if nobody's yeah. mining it then the value yes. is fucking zero, right? And so you lost your Bitcoin, in effect. Well, You lost yeah. the value of it. You didn't lose the coins technically, but you lost the value of it. Well, the only thing we really care about is the value. When we only care about the, the actual tokens themselves. We care about the
2: value, it, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. Is that fair to say?
2: Yes, uh, from the perspective of the value, but also bear in mind that uh, you're going into the social consensus aspect of protocols then because... In this case, you can say the same for, like, if the majority agrees that you need to reorg the chain for the last week and accept th- th- you, everybody accepts that as a canonical chain. That's all true. But we still refer to Bitcoin as immutable, despite the fact that it is possible under if the social consensus agrees to that. So I think it's the similar thing here where you assume that it's possible that for some reason the rules will be changed and nobody will be mining the chain the the old chain that you support but you're still guaranteed access to your bitcoin at some chain doesn't have to right. be supported but, but by who cares? anyone
3: but who cares at that point what's the point of having that bitcoin if it's worth 0 cents
2: uh on 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 like on. on Realistically, not really, but but I think it's an unlikely scenario where everyone except for you will support but the we're change. Not, and you-
3: but we're not talking about what's likely or not likely. We're talking about what are the trust mechanisms of interacting with any particular system. And we're it's, it's, yeah. just defining if there are trust mechanisms built into Bitcoin itself. And there's trust mechanisms into Ethereum trust mechanisms built into you know basically every blockchain that exists or every system that gets in fact. And so this is the question becomes well how many trust aspects are there what are the trust mechanisms that are being being put into play, play right like for, for wbdc for example i have to trust that the people running that are going to hold the value of the big like actually hold my bitcoin for me yeah right yeah. and they are economically incentivized to actually just steal that bitcoin and run off like cause yeah it's, it's so a multi-sig Bitcoin's, essentially it's a yeah. multi-sig and 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 Thankfully, those people are, are operating in an altruistic manner, meaning that they're not operating in their, their personal yeah. interests, but they're operating in the best interest of, of the protocol that they're, that they're operating. Yeah. And it's a different assumption to say than Thorchain's case of like, things are secured not by altruistic behaviors, but rather economic incentives, which is the same s- systems that like something like Bitcoin uses to ensure proper behavior within the Bitcoin network. Like nobody's going to 51% attack Bitcoin because it'd be more profitable to just fucking mine it and be yeah. like, minor than to like try to like fucking take it over because the price would go to fucking zero after that point right it doesn't make any sense to 51% of Bitcoin uh, no economic sense to 51% attack Bitcoin so that it'd be unlikely to do it unless you're like fucking Putin and you want to just like ruin the world in some sense but like for, for a self-interested person nobody's gonna 51% Bitcoin because it doesn't make any mathematical sense to do so
2: I actually disagree with that because the reason why we operate under honesty assumptions rather than a rationality assumption, it's because it's non-trivial to prove that there is no incentive compatible way to earn more money by basically subverting the protocol rules. And so right. uh, while but it's if you sub- unlikely to happen.
3: But if you subvert, if you subvert the protocol rules, like say I got 51% of the mining power of Bitcoin, for example, yeah. and I could just change the rules. I'm all right, there's no longer twenty one million. It's twenty million plus another twenty one million that I just minted with my own wallet. That's the change that I'm yeah. cause I am making because I because I have 51 percent and I can do the fuck I want, right? I have the majority of hash rate. Now, the value of that Bitcoin that I have, the twenty one million that m- minted myself, is probably worth very like hundred bucks. Yeah, of <laughs> in course. In reality, nobody's gonna fucking buy that shit. Nobody's gonna yeah, of course, buy of course, shit. So I am economically incentivized to not do that and just mine Bitcoin, like. A regular fucking person you know who's mining bitcoin in the world because that bitcoin will maintain its value right because obeying by the rules of everybody who's yeah. buying and holding bitcoin we're all agreeing to the same rules we all believe in the same concepts and so as long as those rules don't change underneath us we will all probably continue to hold it now if we change the rules and we say all right we're going to increase the block size from you know, uh, whatever it is now, I think it's like two megabytes, whatever it is, uh, to, you know, eight megabytes. Like I think that's what Bitcoin cash did. Well then Bitcoin cash exists. And then nobody fucking has that either because Bitcoin cash is like market cap is relatively very small. Bitcoin, Right. So, so like, it's just like the economic incentives. There's a difference between trusting systems of trusting a person to act, you know, in a, in the correct fashion, and trusting somebody that they're that they're self-interested and they won't act against their own self-interest, that's what I talk about. When when I talk about Thorchain being trustless, right? when I'm, I'm not saying the trust mechanisms that we're, t- we're referring to in like NLOX and Bitcoin yeah. or these things. What I'm referring to when I use that word, what I'm referring to is you're not trusting the person to do the right thing because you know they're afraid of Johnny Law or or they're just being altruistic. You're trusting that they're self-interested, right? Which is a completely different thing. Right, when you're talking about trust, it sounds like you're just talking about the trust assumptions that you make on any given system. And you're right that there are more trust trust things that you have to make with operating with Thorchain than you do with like just layer one Bitcoin or layer one Ethereum. That's yeah. totally true, totally right. But I would still say that that Thorchain is quote unquote trust minimized or maybe trustless, depending how you define the term. Just because the the things that you are making, the trust that you're making, is is based upon. Uh, um, self-interested dynamics, rather than than like sex, you know, or WBD yeah, yeah. mechanisms of like altruistic tendencies. Is that fair to say? Uh, Am I making
2: sense? No, I I completely get it. But uh, if, let me just go back to the to the self interest part that you said. So, uh, the, 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 when you're saying that it's the most rational path to to basically follow the protocol rules and do whatever everybody else agrees with. Yeah, I agree with that. And if you assess the protocol in a vacuum where nothing else is happening in the world. But there's a great paper by Brian Ford from like 2018. It's called uh, Rationality Self-Defeating and Permissionless Systems. And he makes a semi-formal argument that unless Bitcoin is the most valuable asset in the world, there's always a possibility that there's a rational path to, to basically subverting the protocol rules and still being that being the most profitable strategy out there. So, and that's one of the reasons why we use honesty assumptions. But yeah, I, I completely agree that... Can you give
3: me an example of what you're, what you're talking about there? Like, give me an example of a scenario where um, it, rationality is self-defeating in the context of Bitcoin. Give me an example of that.
2: So if you, if you find an instrument that would allow you to short Bitcoin in a way that will be more profitable than the cost to attack Bitcoin, <laughs> assuming that the price will drop once you attack it, then it's gonna be more profitable to uh, to subvert the protocol rules that, rather than okay. to follow the protocol rules. So in,
3: in that particular example, if I were to have the, the ability to attack Bitcoin, meaning that I have 51% of the Bitcoin I'm, and I'm earning a lot of Bitcoin per block, right? Yeah. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars per day. And instead of doing that and just earning all that money, I decide to buy um, the shorts, You know, get a huge quantities of investment. Or let's just call it like uh, $500 million, right? Or, or yeah. $100 million, some, some amount. And then I go to, to you know some exchange and I short it and in the interest of making money in that mechanism. Do you think it would be more profitable to make money by mining it? In this case, it would be more profitable to short it
2: it's possible depending on what you do as an attack how the market reacts on uh, uh on uh, uh, on the like aftermath of the attack etc so there are a lot of different and it's definitely possible that it can be more profitable is it likely not no but you can't discount it completely and that's the point so while you minimize the possibility of doing that of somebody doing that by introducing incentives disincentives etc you can't completely discount it
3: yeah i'm not i'm not saying i'm discounting it but i'm i'm just trying of to, to evaluate the in a particular example that you're bringing up uh how much does that make sense for a person to to do to actually execute on right that's what i'm yeah. tra- that's what i'm trying to establish in this, in this yeah. context like like your argument is basically saying that like rationality isn't 100% and there are scenarios where it, you know rationality well rationality is 100% in the sense that if you yeah. find to be more rational to attack Bitcoin and short it, then that's the rational thing. And that's you know, for rationality is still winning in that particular context. It's not self-defeating, yeah. it's actually self winning, I guess, or something. But um, but you're you're saying in, in, in hypothetical scenarios that that that, that there, there could be some rationality that it'd be more profitable to attack Bitcoin than than to not, right? That's that that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's a that's a new Jack, uh... can you hear me again? Hello? Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. I've, I've sorry I got a phone call. It, yeah, no, my connection. Okay. My phone just kicked oh. out. Oh, I thought no, it, was, it me. was me. I, yeah. I, I got a phone call and I just killed my, uh, my, my spaces here. Um, let me put my focus thing on here so it doesn't make it happen again. Um, so that's a, so the idea of like shorting you know Bitcoin and then attacking it, it, that's actually a scenario that we talked about actually in the white paper on the economic white paper of Chain. And we acknowledge that that's like a reasonable attack vector in some sense, right? That, that if you are able to, you know, s- simple attack the network in one form or another, uh, and then destroy the network and while shorting it on some, you know, some exchange, you know, like, like uh, Binance or whatever, that could like, yeah. be a profitable attack, attack, which is why we actually talk about in the web.
0: I'm assuming someone's calling chad back uh there's someone in the comments who wanted to come up but let me let me bring them up in the meantime yeah of course chad yeah are you back all right he's gone uh bullshitter hey bully hey it's on, <laughs>
4: Nothing much, man. I just see some builders. I'm interested right. in uh, interacting. Man.
3: Sorry, what, what I was uh, what I was saying. Hopefully, you guys can hear me okay. But uh, um, what I was saying is that that in Thorchain's case, uh, because the rune, the primary use case and the primary the primary demand center for rune is its own network, because that's where all the yield is and that's where the swaps are and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That it's not practical to short it on external. Uh, exchanges because this is not enough room on external cha- exchanges to make it viable, with a viable attack vector.
2: Um, no, I agree that the possibility of achieving that with Thor is probably quite low, but, uh, but to, the, to the, to the, to like on the verge of negligible. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that while it's negligible, it's still. Possible and uh, so, so the difference between let's say obviously you can't draw an equivalence line between uh, an equivalence sign between let's say uh, a bridge uh, a BTC that is bridged to Thor and BTC that is bridged to Ethereum via WBTC. They uh, in one case you have a lot of incentives and disincentives backing the the correctness of of the uh, of the of the nodes that are custodying it whereas in the other mm-hmm. case there's there, there are no on-chain incentives the only incentives is incentives is basically the reputation being upheld of the people who are custodying the funds so it it would be incorrect to put an equivalent sign between those two bridging mechanism but it it would be also incorrect to call thor's approach trustless because let's say rollups are uh, require weaker assumptions than Thor chain to function because there are no incentives or disincentives. You just rely on on cryptography in case of zero knowledge rollups. But we still don't call them trustless. We call them trust minimized.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, uh, getting into the, the the nuance of trustless versus trust minimized. Like probably the more accurate term to be used for Thor chain is not trustless because there are trust aspects make, that you have to make as part of it. Trust minimized is probably a, a more fair term to be used, right? The community as a whole, not just ThorChain, but just the, the general crypto community, tends not to use that word. They tend to, to just to lean towards the word trustless, uh, just because, I guess, because it just sounds better, I suppose. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's more fair, it's a more accurate, accurate term to use trust minimized for ThorChain or for Bitcoin or any of this. Like, nothing is actually trustless. Like, no system is actually trustless. And so everything is basically trust minimized yeah of like, so, uh, like coinbase is not like trust minimized it's highly trustful but yeah of course of course
0: yeah so i'm curious to think where your guys definition of this bends not, not of the word trustless itself but of like some of the examples of uh, bridges you know including uh,
3: you can get on the stage and i'm not sure if i heard you speak something i was dealing with some phone issues here but did you have something you wanted to uh, add or or whatever
4: well, y'all having a great conversation right now. I wanted to inquire about the um the slashing protocol for Thorchain for nodes. Well I'm gonna this goes.
3: Okay. Um uh, yeah, I, I guess let's define over.
4: what a trustless means. I'd I'd like to hear that.
3: Yeah, I mean like as I was saying earlier, like like um the concept of the term trustless is used inoperably or, or interchangeably, yeah, interchangeably with trust minimized like those two those two words are just used interchangeably they probably shouldn't be from a textbook definition perspective but they, they generally are right uh, which is confusing and, and and maybe even misguiding to some to some to some sense but uh trustless means that there's, there's no trustless system and and the and the only time that's true is when you're operating with yourself right <laughs> which yeah. Most people, there's no value in operating your, there's no even then
2: you even then you delve into philosophy and whether you exist or no etc cetera, etc cetera. there are a lot of even then you can't fully trust that you you're in drag you
3: can, sure you can get in some deep like you know uh,
2: yeah. you so I don't think know. there's a scenario ever where you don't have to trust at least something
3: I mean, I mean, I can, I can take this, you know, a uh, uh, Coke can on my desk here and throw it in the air and I trust that it'll hit the earth. Right. And so the, so in that case, I'm trusting the, the, yeah. the mechanics of of, of of physics, right. And gravity and, and, and gravitrons and all these kind of things to make sure that, and that's, that's trustless. Right. I, I mean, unless something crazy happens where I don't know, time stops or something like this and gravity no longer is taking effect or something like this, like, then that would change but but even like within you know uh quantum mechanics for example like in quantum mechanics if you sit in a chair long enough eventually you'll pass through it right it doesn't make sense in yeah the, you know real world but like so there's there's trust there that if i sit down on a chair in the quantum world that i will actually sit on it and not fall through it but, but there may, there's no that's a trust assumption because you actually may pass through it so it yeah yeah but for all intents and purposes, we can we can we should maybe just not use the word trustless. But the re- but the reality is that everybody uses the word just because it sound sounds better than trust minimized. Because trust minimized is a complicated term. Because like well, you're not saying trustless. You're saying there's some trust. But then what trust are you saying, right? And then you, that opens with a longer conversation of like well, the trust that will be there. Blah, 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 blah. Long drawn out conversation. Whereas trustless it just like ends the conversation and you understand what I'm trying to
2: fucking say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so i think we need we need a way to define the baseline assumptions for every protocol so with every protocol that you interact with so let's say ethereum bitcoin whatever else avalanche you have a certain baseline set of assumptions that you have to make no matter what you do like they're inevitable and so i think trustless is a good way to refer to like the fact that you're only making those assumptions and you're not, it's a misnomer because it's, it's the same as impermanent loss, for example. I hate that term because it doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, but, but people still use it. I think with trustless, it's the same thing. You need to somehow define the baseline set of assumptions for every protocol.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's fair. And that's partially what the white paper does. You know, uh, you should always list out, uh you know how the thing functions and works. What are the assumptions being made? And I think you know, in, in our white paper specifically, that's the one I understand pretty fairly well. Uh, we line out um, you know all the assumptions that we Like We make an assumption, for example, that no more than one third of the validator set is malicious. For example, yeah. right? Uh, we make assumptions that like that uh, that the network is economically secure because it's financially impractical to attack as long as there's yeah. not enough rune on. Sometimes it's in just a short the quantity of value that you earn from the ceiling of the Bitcoin and Ethereum and various assets. So we go through like in, in pretty good detail if you read through the white paper
2: of like these are the assumptions that are being made. Yeah. And I don't remember can... the details. I I I've read it a couple of years ago, so I don't remember all the details, but I, I remember the, the like the, the, the main the main parts of it.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I, I haven't read it myself in probably a couple of years too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> fair to enough. Fair enough.
3: I don't really have I mean, to read it.
2: <laughs> yeah, once you're done with it, you're done with it. You're off <laughs> you're off building something that that basically improves it. You don't need to reread it every day.
3: Yeah, well like I, I you know I am one of the, the really the, the two people that architected design the, the, the whole thing, so it, I feel like I got a pretty good understanding of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: fair, fair. <laughs> Makes sense.
3: <laughs> um, but I'm not Actually, I, wrote this. I actually wrote the wrote the text i'm not, I'm not a very good writer I, I write computer language not human language so he's he's much better than me at that yeah uh, anyways
4: there'd be a lot more profanity um, yeah, in the white all paper comes down by to this, like, by
3: definitions it. of terms and and so like for example like you were talking about bridges basically anything that 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 connects value or communication between one one uh, ecosystem to another and that's a that's a real definition i'm not saying it's incorrect or anything like that that's a that's a reasonable definition when i think about the term bridge like for me it's just like when you're trying to send something across like an asset that's how i associate it to be or an only a message could be also be a, a valuable way of doing it um but because of there's no actual transact like passing of anything between the two yeah just moving moving value on one chain moving value another chain but between the two chains there's no actual real communication happening or anything like that or, or yeah. transpiring of things. i that's why i don't consider Thorchain to be a bridge and under coined to be a bridge although I see I hear your argument and I think it's a reasonable you know way of looking at it I don't think that's necessarily wrong but that's how I determine it and then I, and when I talk about words like trust I'm, I'm talking about like what are the trust mechanisms if play? not so much is there trust or is there not trust but are the mechanisms like altruism or is it um or is it basic like economic incentives, right? And ours in our ecosystem, like our world, our crypto space itself, it's like is trying to get away from the trust systems, like try to get away from the altruism systems. Like Web Two is yeah. altruistic and banks are altruistic in some sense. And get more towards economic incentives, which is what Bitcoin is, and it's what Ethereum is, and that's what you know any well designed system should have uh incentives align with it. Like you know jack from twitter he's like investing money into like noster and you know blue sky and like to my knowledge i haven't been able to to determine any kind of like economic incentives with these things and so it's just like i don't know why it would actually function but uh other than people just just choosing to run nodes in a trust trustful fashion yeah that's how i define the term and that's when i talk about these things publicly with with the community that's what i that's that's what i'm referring to does that make sense
2: no no I completely get your side. I I just think that because we use trustless in different contexts in different ways it yes. muddies up the waters a bit. It and does. so we get to a point where like for example uh, somebody refers to so for example Avalanche their their Ethereum Avalanche bridge they used their it's it's just a multisig essentially that is protected by SGX but essentially it's a multisig. They used to it refer be- to it as a trustless bridge.
3: But it, it's like the SGX part of it is to me, it's straight up horseshit. Like, that's that, yeah. The, S, the SGX gives you nothing of value, like, because, like, in the end, if you have five, I think there's six wardens, I want oh, maybe there's 11, eight. I can't remember the exact eight. number eight, eight, eight wardens. And if you gain access to, if it's a multi-stick and you get access to, you know, uh, was it, six of was them, yep, six of eight then you get all the funds and if if you yep. if it's a multi-sig with SGX and you get access to 6 of the 8 you still get
2: all the funds like the
3: SGX xjx part of it doesn't really do anything at all
2: like so really i refer to purposive. it as a glorified dealer for distributed key generation process because that's yeah. what it is that's the only thing that it does because let's say if you uh, control 6 wardens you can still sign transactions that don't actually exist and just withdraw the funds It doesn't actually check whether the transactions are valid or not.
3: Yeah, that's that's part of the issue with wardens or 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 federations or any of these systems, right? And that's like that's that's what we rail against. Is this this community is like, to my knowledge, I can't think of one example other than us. Is like we're the only ones that secure external uh, exogenous capital Bitcoin Ethereum and other other assets in a way that is not used by some sort of Trust or federation of, of some kind. Like to my knowledge, we're the only ones that actually do this. Everybody else just kind of requires trust of the validators, or trust of the wardens, or trust of the you know federation to make sure everything's not like just rugged or whatever. We're the only ones that do this, and that's really sad because like this is what these industry is built to do: is to to remove these th- those kind of trust systems, remove that kind of altruistic tendencies of of, of, of requirement of altruism to like maintain security and move towards like incentive-based. Economic, it's people are incentivized to, to act rationally, to act to, 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 to do the best thing, uh, not in, in the interest of everybody, but the interest of themselves and, as an individuals.
2: No, yeah, I, I completely get it. Uh, j- just one, one question. I don't remember, I, I haven't looked into it in a while, but isn't TBTC also using a similar model where they have capital bonded that protect the deposits? Uh
3: yes, but the difference is, is that um, because the the asset that you're bonding um, with and the asset that you're securing are completely isolated from each other, not coupled at all. Yeah. Right. And so if the if the price of your asset that you're bonding dives by eighty percent, let's just say hypothetically, well now you're in a place where the the bonding value is far less than the thing yeah. that you're trying to secure. So like if you give me ten dollars to secure money i get thousand dollars like you'll just steal a thousand dollars and never get your yeah right. it, it, like, it's right. rational to do that yeah,
4: yeah.
5: right
3: but in Thorchain's case because all the pools are, are have rune in it which ruins the is the, the bonding asset yeah. in the event that rune's price dies by 80 percent arbitrage bots effectively like you know send in a bunch of rune and take out a bunch of bitcoin and so yeah. to always ensure that, that the value of the of the bitcoin and ethereum is always worth less than the bond the dollar dollar value yep. of the bond those things are it's always uh you can't do the fact that they're bonding with tbdc like with another asset uh it, that it's helpful i mean it's better than nothing right i mean that's, that's yep. you know
2: that's good i guess that's good and assuming that they, yeah it's that, better than the multi-seg obviously
3: right but they're the, even at like at that point it's just like well they have access they run the network themselves as well so it's like I
2: don't know. It, yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying from the permissionlessness moment. perspective. I, I was just asking from the bonding perspective because I haven't looked into it in like a few years, but I remember yeah. that they were also working on a bonding mechanism.
3: Although I will give credit to. Um... But if I understand correctly, and I didn't read the paper, I just spoke to one of the guys behind it in a, in a quick like 10-minute conversation. So I will give credit, though, to SBDC on Stacks just because oh. they've actually they've actually figured out a different way of doing it where they are securing with a different asset than the, than the asset they're securing. So they use, they use STX as the bonding asset yep. and Bitcoin as the asset. But they have like a liquidation system so that if yeah. the value of the STX drops below the value of the bitcoin they're securing then they get liquidated right yeah and so they're incentivized at least it's, at some point they're incentivized to like to top up more, top up and put more stacks in just to make, make sure they don't get liquidated uh but even with that it's like I, I still get a little uneasy about it just because
2: um you know yeah you have to like... constantly keep topping up in case right. that well
3: not but not only that like when you top up you're taking on more price exposure to, to yeah. the STX action and and then is there a case and scenario where like, it doesn't make sense to like, okay, stacks is going down. Am I gonna buy more stacks just to like top up my position? Probably not, right? And so it makes assumptions in that regard, but at least it's that's one of the better systems that I've seen. It's still not as good as implementation, but it is one of the better ones I would would say.
2: Yeah, no, 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 I agree Uh, because uh, are, are you referring to the new model that they just, like, uh, announced a few weeks ago? Is that one, uh, the one that you're referring to? Yeah,
3: yeah. I was talking to one of the guys behind it at the Bitcoin uh, conference in Miami, like, a while yeah. back. It's, it's, so this is conference that happened a while ago. So maybe they've changed some of the design aspects that I just didn't – I haven't heard of the new changes. So No, no, it's ap- the same ap- thing. It's the same ap- thing. Ap- ap- I'm just Apologies ap- if I got something wrong, but
2: um, – No, I mean, no, it's, you, you didn't. It
3: is a fascinating way of going at it, and it does – at least, and in, 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 in partially, or a good part of it, solves the the, the the problem of having the bonding asset being different than the asset that you're actually securing, which is a difficult problem. I appreciate the innovation. I appreciate the idea of like experimentation and trying new ideas and concepts, and and may the best yeah. thing win. Like, hopefully, Darwin you know takes over, and you know whatever works survives, yeah. and whatever doesn't work. The, it's, survival, it's of the, yeah. the survival of the
2: fittest.
3: survival of the fittest. And that's why like, even in in like literally in nature like uh 97 plus percent of all uh, animal life on this planet is extinct right that's vast, yeah. vast vast majority of life is like died because they had a mutation that that didn't work so well you know uh yeah a, like you know a deer like became bright pink or something like this didn't work so well and so they died out and so we, we i expect the same thing to happen in this space like in crypto itself it's like Ninety-seven percent of projects are probably going to die, and they probably should die, and, and just allowed. Completely dark, agree. The, yeah, the you know the few that actually have a good structure and fundamentals, blah, blah 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 whatever those might be. Hopefully that's store chain, and hopefully that's your project, and like all this kind of stuff. But like we don't know what the, what what they actually are. We have to wait for like you know reality to, to set in and, and yeah. tell us which things work and which things don't work, uh, and then you know uh, eventually the net result is even the projects that fail. Let's say four chain fails, for example. We pro- we proved what did work, and we proved what didn't work. Yeah, always it, learn from you, the mistakes. You can learn from the failures. Of, you know, like Terra collapse, for example. We learned a bunch about algo stables, for example, and, and what didn't work about Terrace design, and blah blah blah. blah. And so hopefully that will inform future generations or future iterations to to like keep that in mind and, and learn from our mistakes and build better, more robust systems.
2: Yeah, true. I mean, with Terra, uh, there were so many algo stables that collapsed before it that we should have learned before Terra became. <laughs> well, a 40 no, no hold on there.
3: Hold on there. So each individual of those algo stables are, are, had different implementations and different designs, right? And they all failed for yeah. different reasons, right? They all they all failed, I mean, they all came to the same kind of cataclysmic kind of ending. Uh, but the reasons why they failed, like, for example, like iron. For example, uh, and and what was the, what was the stable coin for that? I can't remember what the stable was. Oh, iron yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but yeah. but the reason why they failed was was because the the oracle for the the price of the the vault asset we had like a delay to it, and so the price was falling yeah. much faster than the, than the oracle could inform the smart contract, and then the, that destroyed the arbitrage ability to actually arbitrage the asset, and then therefore the whole thing just basically crumbled into a mess. Until there was wasn't any sell pressure onto the volatile asset, and the or the oracle was then correct, right, giving the correct information, yeah, along the arbitrage, the arbitrage, which is why that token still exists today, and it it's, it is, it maintains its peg, even though you know its market cap is basically near zero, <laughs> right, close to zero. <laughs> yeah, true. Because nobody fucking knows that shit. Because obviously it's not, uh, you know, uh, a long term viable thing. It already failed. But uh, but each my anyway, my point is that like each of, one of those those algo stable designs have different implementations and they fail for different reasons and so as long as we're we're paying attention we're learning and we're and we're and we're you know adjusting and, and trying new concepts right like like Bitcoin is a, a good example where people try there's been yeah uh, a, a hundred forks super Bitcoin Bitcoin Cash Litecoin, and Litecoin like there's been like hundreds of forks of Bitcoin and they've all Bitcoin
2: Satoshi's vision.
3: Everyone's yeah. favorite. Some of them are just like straight up scams, like you know, Bitcoin. is like yeah. straight up scam. And some of them are like legitimate attempts of improvement. Like Bitcoin Cash was, it was born out of the uh, arguments in 2017 about block the size small books Yeah. Yeah. And so they just like, we're well, just gonna create a new thing, and then like that kind of destroyed the arguments about actually changing Bitcoin because anybody who wanted a bigger block just basically migrated over to Bitcoin Cash world, right? Yeah. And so like, but like, what's fascinating now is that like. You don't see any Bitcoin forks anymore, right? It's a it's like this fascinating thing of like you can always tell yeah people learned people learn that Bitcoin is like you know, you can't just fork Bitcoin and have some glory stats you know like bigger block size or faster you know block times or something like this and then it, it's better than everybody adopts it and blah 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 it's not that simple it's not that straightforward there's a yeah. there's kind of the strong tendency I we we see in like if you go to like a bookstore right anywhere in America. And you look on books about consciousness, like a topic that is very well, very much debated and misunderstood or, or researched. There'll be a thousand books, like thousands of books about consciousness. But things that are settled, things that are like, there's no more debates about, like Newtonian physics, for example. You, if you go to the bookstore look for a book on Newtonian physics, you're just going to find like one or two. You're not going to find a thousand of them yeah. because there's no more, there's no debate about whether or not newtonian physics works or not or how it functions or what the mathematics are so there's not new books being created and similarly there's not new forks of bitcoin we challenged it back in the day whether or not bitcoin will work or not what, what if we change the block size what if we change uh we add Schnorr signatures early what if we you know add a little better smart contract capabilities we tried all these concepts and the result of it was no i think we're kind of settled like bitcoin is bitcoin you know you don't need to fucking fork it anymore and try to make some changes to it like we pretty much figured it out, right? Now Ethereum is going through the same thing of like, well, is Ethereum the right, is Ethereum the right answer? Okay, well, we have all these challengers. We have, you know, AVAX and we have Solana and we have, you know, Algorand. And and maybe the result is, you know, Ethereum is right. Ethereum is going to be the winner. And all those other chains will basically fall to the wayside just as all those Bitcoin forks did. Or maybe, you know, maybe AVAX will win. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying AVAX would or whatever. I'm just like, yeah. Speaking habit- in hypotheticals here, but eventually, at some point, it's getting to the point where like all those challengers to Ethereum, all these ETH killers, quote unquote, something's going to win. And maybe that's Ethereum, maybe it's something else. I don't really know. But at some point, something's going to win, and we're not going to see any more like challengers in a sense.
2: I, I, I a bit disagree with that because I think I think there is not a single chain that can satisfy all the potential demand that is there for block space. And also, you shouldn't be saying that because if there's only one chain, there's no reason to connect between uh, uh, two chains. So Thor chain becomes. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood you then.
3: Each individual, like each individual chain, has a different, unique purpose and proposition. But something that's competing for the same, like Bitcoin Cash, is competing for the same space of Bitcoin, right? It's trying to beat Bitcoin. Yeah. Whereas maybe you can make an argument that something like Solana or maybe an L2 is going for a faster transaction speeds, which is you would use an application in this scenario where you would use a different application for a different scenario. Like, like it's okay to have like different chains that that provide different services. Just like on the internet, we have like, we have basically one search engine, which is Google. I mean, there are other ones that do exist, but like basically nobody uses them. We have one Place to buy books, right? Which is Amazon. There are other ones that exist, but nobody really uses them. And we have one place to, for secondary markets, which is predominantly eBay, or maybe you could argue it's Facebook Marketplace, whatever. And so like, there's a tendency to, to, to aggregate into a sing. Once like it's been established, there's a winner, which the, nobody's really cha- challenging. Google, yeah. or, nobody's really challenging Amazon, for example. but you know, for the most part, they're they're pretty much locked into that position, unless something huge comes out, like revolution, not evolutionary, but revolutionary, comes out. Yeah. But largely speaking, that's what's the case. So there's going to be Bitcoin and there's going to be something that's in the smart contract realm. And there's going to be something that does uh, 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 other types of protocols, you know, something that does, you know, uh, storage and something that does this and something that does that. And all those protocols are going to need the ability to to transfer value between those two systems, which is where Thorchain's chain's, you know, value profit. Yeah, of course. I I I think with – oh,
1: sorry. I got a question for you, Chad, and this one's interesting. Someone was asking me about, like, why is Cosmos such an interesting ecosystem to work in? Um, but I think that with the, uh, with the transition of, like, Ethereum to proof of stake, you kind of see the the, uh, you know, the real clear differentiators between sort of the app chain Cosmos ecosystem and the EVM ecosystem starting to um, get – like, like there's, there's fewer differentiators between the two. Um, do you think EVM and Cosmos will continue to be like two major categories that compete? Or do you think we'll start to coalesce around one as sort of like one one app chain that just becomes like the general purpose computing smart contract? And do you think Cosmos or EVM is more effectively positioned? Or do you think they'll still be like completely separate forever?
3: Um, well, so my personal viewpoint is that smart contracts in general um are not um this they're not good for large-scale applications they're good for sandboxing they're good for testing they're good they're good for kind of experimentation and, and kind of quickly throwing something together and, and seeing how it kind of fares but they don't work well on the on the larger scale of things and that's partially because of um, um shared security to me, is inherently problematic because any developer, you know, worth his his, his weight in salt, wants to have full control over the environment of their of their application they're building, right? So, the equivalent for this in the Web two space is uh, Heroku, right? Uh, you can deploy a Rail, Ruby on Rails app onto Heroku in the weekend, which is really great. It's actually very useful in this context. I use Heroku myself for for various purposes or, or values, but I would never build if I was going to build a startup. To compete against twitter which just say, i would never build it on fucking heroku like that would be a disaster right because you wouldn't want to deploy a, a video game onto ethereum and then have the gas prices become so expensive that that nobody can like you know buy a sword or something like this because you know not practical you you want to be able to have full full control over your your complete environment as any developer would want that like it's, it's silly if you didn't i like, just I mean, it's, it's, it's useful to use Heroku to like, like try out ideas, Like right? I have a, like, a couple of chatbots that I've deployed onto Heroku, for example, just to like interact with discord and that kind of stuff, which is very useful in that context. But if I was going to build like a real thing that would have real adoption, have massive use, use case, uh, it doesn't make sense to put that on a smart contract in many cases. Now it does if you're doing like NFTs, like that's, that's fine. I use smart contract for NFT, that, that's, that's fine. But DeFi specifically, no, absolutely 100%. It's the wrong place for it. And the reason why that is is because you do not want to have your DeFi protocol be lashed to some specific ecosystem that will only give you some amount of liquidity or value. What's a better design from structurally, and I think anybody, objectively speaking, would, would agree with me on this, is to have your DeFi protocol work with any and all ecosystems and have access to the full liquidity of the entire crypto, cri- cryptocurrency uh, uh, market and you will have much more trade volume, TVL, blah blah, blah blah blah, all these things, just because you're positioned to be able to acquire more than any other protocol, like in the crypto space. Do you know what I mean? Does that
2: make sense? Uh, the thing is, I, the the only thing is, the DeFi protocol can live, for example, on Ethereum and use Ethereum as a hub where you you bridge from different chains to Ethereum. It doesn't have to be like intermediary. But so, uh, using- so so so.
3: But then you're using oh, wrapped asset. But then you're using wrapped assets, and you're, rec- you're leaning on altruism to be able to secure those assets, which is
0: you not... don't
2: have to. You can use repayment protocols,
0: which are uh, uh,
2: what do you uh, Something like connects. So something that connects, for example, repayment networks.
1: You you also don't have to use wrapped protocols. I, I think I, I agree with both of you here. It's really interesting what you were saying, Chad, about um about not wanting to like build an app, and, but I think one of the things that with the EVM um Uh, ecosystem like does offer is this access to a lot of users. So if you, if you deploy a smart contract, you instantly have access to a huge market share of users, a lot of tooling, like built around web three. So it seems like the kind of place where it makes sense to launch something. And then once you have a a following, then go build your own, you know, specialized app chain that can be more performant. That's what we've seen DYDX do. um, Yeah. Cosmos chain, so I think it's just really interesting this idea that you know we'll probably have one big EVM or like smart contract based uh, platform where there are there are going to be like large there is going to be like a large dex like Uniswap will probably always be the the one AMM where people go to pool uh, ERC twenties and swap between them, um, and then you don't you don't need wrapped assets for that. So if you're just trading between assets in an ecosystem, I think something like Uniswap works well there will always be a place for that people will go there to try to test their, their idea. And then to get access to the liquidity, to the, you know, the, the, the functionality that can be found from, you know, Uniswap or other, other, you know, applications deployed on the, on the Ethereum ecosystem. But then once they become uh, you know, once they've validated their idea and they want to, you know, build it, they'll, they'll probably choose cosmos as a place to do that. Um, Does that sound like a fair assumption? So, so, like market the market will lean toward one smart contract and then amongst them one large smart contracting protocol and then there will be lots of app chains um via cosmos and 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 you also agree then that there will also be like just one utxo or proof of work store of value type chain and that will always be be bitcoin
3: yeah i do think there'll be effectively a primary winner in each of these kind of concepts of the smart contracting chain and the uh, store value chain and blah 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 like each of these things will have some predominant winner that it has you know likely 70 plus percent of the market share and then there'll be a bunch of like you know secondary things so it says Google has like 90% of the market share on search engine but there's also DuckDuckGo and Bing and like you know I think ultimately even still exists or something like this Yahoo search but uh, yeah, I think I, I think I agree with that that's like that's the the natural thing to happen in in, in, in any capitalistic or uh, system of a free market is that there's centralization of power to create effective like, effective like, monopolies of some kind. That's why we see monopolies in, in, in like American history and other um, uh, free market systems. That, that there's always a tendency to, to, to not spread out capital to many different systems that provide the same service. There's always a tendency to, to kind of focus it on one or two that has the quote unquote trust of the of the, of the uh,
2: society. I slightly disagree with that. I think in terms of like Bitcoin is a bit different because Bitcoin's main utility is meme of store of value, the hedge against inflation, etc. Sound money. It's not the util- the on chain utility. It's the meme around Bitcoin. Whereas with smart contract chains, it's a bit different. It's a, and considering that we're build we're we're envisioning the future where the demand is going to be quite high. I I would rather compare it with with the car the the, the 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 car manufacturers rather than, than with Google. so one of the reasons why we don't have one dominant brand obviously we have brands like toyota which are like best sellers and produce quite a lot of cars but we don't have one brand dominating everything it's because they just don't have enough capacity to produce enough cars to satisfy all the demand and i think no, I, it's I think the it's same
3: more, it's more more complicated than that i mean the reason why we haven't said oh yeah one, oh, this car there is are multiple the reasons one is, is price is uh what kind of car they make we, we have when you buy a car you're not buying a car for a specific purpose right like What i mean you are but like there's not a a single point yeah, why yeah, you course. buy a car there's like, 101 different reasons why I, I gotta get to work i have to like do long drives across the country i you know want to go down to the beach or something like this and that all might like i want to like be able to go up a fucking mountainside you know, and get something like a jeep or whatever so like there's different use cases and so there's not so much a predominant car manufacturer because there's different uses in google for example your search there's only one reason to go Google is to search and to get results now as long as the results are more or less the same between google and DuckDuckGo and and bing whatever then i don't think anybody really gives a shit about like you know the difference between one or the
2: other google just becomes the, the dominant guy I actually, then even within like a, one type of car, let's say uh, a business class four seater or five seater, are right. BMW five series, there's E class, there's a lot of different brands making it. So it's even within within this, like I would say, it's one use case essentially. This one uh, certain cut, cut of the of the whole market. There are still multiple brands. Right.
3: Right, but the brands, like, they mean different things, and we attach our, like, even, same thing with clothing, like, I might wear, uh, you know, J. Crew or Amber Crombie and Fitch or, like, yeah. Tom Ford or, like, I don't know, and so we attach our identity to, to these to these brands, and that's part of it, like, people love to buy BMW because they associate that brand to mean success, for example, or somebody loves, loves, uh, you know, Jeep because it, it, for them, represents, they want to be seen as somebody who's, like, you know, rugged and, and tough, or something, I don't know, I'm making some shit up right here, but, you can't compare brands and lifestyles to, like, blockchains and tools, you know? Chad, yeah. actually,
4: I got a counterpoint to you. Google... Go Google have become... search engines have become, like, email competitors. Also, Google is, like, a Microsoft Office suite competitor, whereas, say, Proton is, like, a VPN competitor. A lot of these large Web2 search engine companies have actually become, like... Niche and other and other competitive business areas.
3: Uh, sorry, I, I think I missed your example. I don't sure if I said the correct.
4: Okay, um, Google has become like most search engines are email suites as well. Google has is a is a free alternative or a competitor to like the Microsoft Office suite. They have mm-hmm. like they have documents. They have they are also their cloud storage competitors. Proton. Mm-hmm. Proton is an email service. They also have, like, they're a VPN competitor and also a cloud service, a cloud storage competitor. I feel like in Web2, there's also, like, a lot of branching out. I, th- I think there's something to what to- Togrul is saying.
3: Yeah, no, know. There's, there's something. I'm not trying to discount what is saying. He's coming from a valid perspective and opinion. Yeah. Um, I think what you but what you're doing there is your is your is your conflating multiple sort of like yeah, Google's parent company is, is Alphabet and they have is lots of companies that produce lots of different products and services. They're obviously a conglomerate and, and in many respects. Uh, but I wouldn't go as far to say that like uh, Google as a company. I'm more referring to Google as a search engine and how you compare to other search engines that are are competing for the same space, right? And then you could say within storage like. Google's compl- also has a storage product, right? Google Cloud, and there's also Dropbox, and there's also, you know, I mean, a larger, almost every uh, tech company has a storage, you know, service of some kind because it's, it's cheap and easy to build and, and profitable. Uh, you know, so so like that's a little bit different because like what cloud storage you use is relative to what you know what kind of like computer you use. Like I use an Apple myself personally, so I use iCloud for some things and Dropbox for some other things and something for something else like it's, it's it's but that's a much more kind of uh complex and more nuanced you know uh topic uh,
2: just just to add something so so why i was saying that uh i don't think there's going to be a single winner is because there's no protocol assuming that like we reach a point where everybody's using blockchains on a daily basis to pay for stuff or whatever. And there's not a single protocol out there that can saturate the demand. So so has enough supply in terms of block space, execution cycles, whatever, to saturate that demand. And so essentially, for example, I did a calculation with Ethereum with tank sharding and like in the most optimistic scenario, you can get like 80,000 TPS. If you like compress the shit out of uh, zero knowledge, uh, the batch commitments for zero knowledge rollups and Solana can realistically do around 50 to a hundred thousand without basically raising the hardware requirements to a point where you have to have a supercomputer and like 10 gigabit connection to run it. And so from that perspective, I just think there's not a single protocol that can dominate and will have a few, well, let's say avalanche, Solana, Ethereum.
3: In terms of payments, actually, I would agree. I would disagree with that just because, at least in my opinion, um, the Lightning Network on Bitcoin can scale infinitely, right? all the transactions between person A and person B are, are done not on the chain specifically, so you don't require any block space for it. You just done it between, the, between each other, so that can that can scale basically as, as fast and as high as we effectively want it to. I mean, there's still problem scalability issues with it. I mean, there's still like, there's like still no liquidity on it. I mean, it's only got like I think three thousand Bitcoin in total on the network, and blah blah blah. blah this. There's growth to be had. It's not ready for that today. Uh, but I think f- from a fundamentalist perspective, from a first principles perspective, Light Network is more than like capable of handling payments.
2: But Lightning well, Network can only scale to unlimited, unlimited uh, scale. It has unlimited scaling only in a scenario. No, scenario. There are no fraudulent exits, et cetera, where you have to challenge one chain. And then you come to a certain limit, which is Bitcoin's block capacity. And on yep. top of that, uh, the routing and Lightning Network, et cetera, it's quite complex. And it's and I, j- I just don't see a scenario in which Lightning Network is actually a viable use case for payments.
3: Well, the complexity, I'm not, I'm not too worried about the complexity aspect of that. That is just computation
2: to find the most
3: optimal path to me to send you because you right. and I don't have a contract with each other but I but we both have a contract with Pluto, for example. I and mean, that, that's just like, I don't find that to be too much of a barrier. I think all that stuff is extracted away from the user perspective as well. But I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm bullish on light network. I think it's, it's totally practical for it to become, um, uh, the, the biggest problem that I have with light network in terms of a payment mechanism is that, is that Bitcoin asset itself is not a stable asset. It's obviously very,
0: yeah. A
3: volatile asset, but that the volatility of Bitcoin, or asset for that matter, goes down with the with the market cap. Like you know, if Rune hmm. was a hundred trillion dollar market cap tomorrow, which obviously it wouldn't happen, but if it was, then it would be the most stable asset on the entire planet. It would be, be more yeah, stable course, than, 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 than the dollar, than oil, than anything else, for that matter. And so, as Bitcoin becomes, a, a, you know, a larger asset, and in my view, I think Bitcoin, I see Bitcoin becoming, you know, the reserve currency for the for the planet at some point. Maybe in fifteen or twenty years, uh, at that point it would be so massive in size and market cap that it would be the most stable asset we've ever seen as a as a, as a society, and then Light Network should be able to um, handle all those transactions pretty easily, I would think. But maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong about it.
0: So, guys, uh, we're gonna wrap up at around the, the half hour here. So we have about twenty minutes cool. left. Uh, maybe. Uh, any other thoughts uh,
3: or- Questions or anything from the audience, or (laughs) I I don't
1: think I don't think that uh, Chad, uh, you can hear um, familiar cow. But yeah, he was pretty much saying the same thing. We were going to wrap up. We were going to wrap up here. Actually, if you uh, if you go down as a um, cow, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. If you if you just remove Chad as a speaker and then bring him back up, it might it might it might work.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just saying that maybe we can just talk about uh, some like any specific trust examples with bridges in particular. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Looks like, okay, looks, I'm just like Chad re- just I'm left. Relay
1: that. Oh, he, uh, he didn't see him left. Okay. So basically, for Chad, if you couldn't hear him, but you are still in the audience, uh, he was, we'll just let him rejoin. Uh, cool. There we go. Chad, so just for you, can you hear Tyler real quick?
3: Mic check. Hey. Could you hear that? Sorry. So again, I was being transferred from,
0: from stage. Yeah. Hey, Chad, Chad, can you hear me right now? Yeah, I can hear. Sorry getting rugged by by twitter yeah dude all right i I mean we're even paying for this now and elon's still rugging us this is going too far
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been freely broken recently
0: yeah so i figured for like the last like 20 minutes maybe uh we could just talk about like any specific trust examples for for bridges or specific designs that that are currently in use that we could talk about like uh, you know where those assumptions go astray, and how that could lead to disaster in the future with with bridges in, in particular. I, I think,
2: of course, of course. Feel free to give an example of what you want to discuss, because if there's basically an infinite selection of disasters yeah, and bridge well, designs. I, I'd, I'd like to, to hear
0: which which bridge disasters that you're. Uh, currently have your eye on on saying like hey this this design is not is not proven and it will not work over in in, in infinite scale of, of time right and,
1: and if and if ThorChain happens to be one of us let us talk about that because yeah I mean, certainly, sure. certainly if there's any criticism that you have we're, we're all ears, and I feel like that would be you know a, a, a definitely a um a, a good a good point of discussion if, if, yeah, there's, maybe sp- if there's specific things that you know about ThorChain that you would that you would think we could
2: do differently
0: yeah, let's start there. And if you can't, there's nothing there, then we can go to some other bridges. But let's let's just like spend the last twenty minutes on that. No,
2: I I, I think from like the design perspective, I I don't really have any crit, criticisms, etc. My main criticism was about the use of definitions, etc. But we already discussed that. The only concern that I have with Thorchain, but it's not really limited to Thorchain; it's applicable to a lot of different bridges and protocols that uh, uh, interchain protocols is the sheer complexity of running the node because you have to run the nodes for every single protocol on top of a Thor chain node. And that's just adds a lot of complexity to the operation. But I, I guess it's inevitable if you're gonna run bridges between different protocols what about
1: what about the number of validators that we have right right now it's like less than 100 um, i think the most we've ever had was 100 and i think the most that we can like you know um, feasibly scale it to just from like the you know the tendermint consensus um, layer yeah. would be you know maybe around 300 to three hundred. Two, yeah, yeah. So depending on like you know also like you know, what what your app is doing so like do you think do yeah. you think that the number of validators is a is a concern as well
2: I think ideally you would try to maximize it but at the same time relative to the vast majority of other bridges it's much better so I don't I don't think that's like a necess- necessarily like a pressing point of concern long term I think it's it's a good thing to optimize and like let's say the number to 200 300 whatever but short term I don't think it's a massive concern
3: I mean, so one of the complexities of like of scaling the validators, uh, other than the cost, most limitations of like Tendermint, is that like there's a limitation on the minimum quantity of room that each individual validator needs to have, which is yeah. like, right now it's such a three hundred thousand. So like another the question becomes like, how many people or maybe small groups of people have three hundred thousand room like sitting in? Yeah, their pocket? can afford is like, its it? Yeah. Is it t- is it ten thousand? No, it's not anywhere close to ten thousand. It's probably you know maybe one hundred maybe 150, to be honest with you. And if yeah. you can get, if you lower that, say we're going to lower the, the, the minimum from 300,000 to like 100,000 or, or 50,000 or some number, you could do that and it would allow more validators in some sense to churn into the network in that sense. But then the problem becomes that the security of a network is not the total sum of the bond because you don't need to run 100% of the nodes to, to, to see all the assets. You can yeah. run two-thirds. So then you run the bottom two thirds of bonds, and if most of them are you know fifty thousand dollar bonds, well then the actual yeah. security of the network is not the sum of all those. It's actually a bunch of fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand rune, you know, bonds. Yeah, the lower bound essentially. A, so you're actually, even though you're increasing the quantity of validators, you're actually decreasing the security of the network as, as yeah. counterintuitive as that as that sounds at first glance. So you want what you want is as many nodes as you can get at really high room quantity because the higher the room quantity each, of each individual node, the more security that's actually provided. And so that becomes this kind of multifaceted kind of discussion of, about like, how do we scale the nodes in a way that actually increases security and increases decentralization? And that's hard to do for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, staking bounds are really difficult in general. It's like, how do you define? Because you can't really price it in terms of real dollars. You have to like set the number in terms of your token and you have to estimate how the token is gonna to perform. A lot of, so for example, when Ethereum was set as 32 ETH, Ethereum was trading at what, 100 bucks to 100 bucks. So it was a completely different security model and an assumption of who can join, who can operate. Now it's trading at a completely different price. So you either have to constantly be changing it or you have to just accept it. You set a certain number and just stick to it.
0: Right, right. Well, Thorchain's dynamically changes based on the uh, based based on the amount of bond of the other nodes, right? It, it's not like a static. Type yeah, thing, yeah. but I guess that's good. It's kind of in, in the weeds too much, but but yeah. But you
2: still have a lower bound, though, no? In terms of how much, or it, it or it, it, it yeah. doesn't matter how much it is; it still dynamically changes. Yeah,
1: there's, yeah. A, there, there, there's a minimum set by like the. whole to churn in and there's a minimum that's set by the um but there's just like a constant 300,000 rune but we've seen that yeah. we haven't we haven't had any 300,000 rune nodes churn in since we set that like since the since the multi-chain network was launched the bid yeah. has been so high that it's never effectively dropped that low which is really cool it just means that you know fair, there's an fair. actual like you know free market bidding for this
2: yeah yeah fair yeah, but that's what I mean. I meant more and and as in, like, where do you set the lower bound to get it right? So let's say if you expand the network and get like 300, 400 validators, nodes, where do you set that bound?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say like one of the biggest concerns that I have about Thorchain's design into the future, just to just to be like, to uh, have some good conversation, uh, is that. Because ThorChain uniquely is economically secured by its, by its security, its amount of, of TVL is limited by that, right? Versus yeah, like something yeah. something like ChainFlip, which is going to be – it's a competitor to ThorChain in some sense. Uh, it hasn't launched yet. It's, I'm sure it's going to come out in 2023 or whatever. But uh, they don't really do economic security, so you can arbitrarily put in as much capital as you want. So they, they can grow their TVL much faster and more easily in a, in a sense – than, than ThorChain recently can. So then the question becomes, well, same thing with layer zero. Yeah. Same thing with layer zero. Like if you don't worry about security, then you can
2: kind of grow things quickly, and then it becomes don't even uh, layer zero. I have like, uh, there's a, uh, there's a special place in hell for layer zero on the way to design (laughs) the, (laughs) like they they basically, typically you, you, when you design a protocol, you first, Uh, like brainstorm and think of assumptions that you want to build your protocol on, but well, layer zero did, they built it the other way around. So they designed the protocol and they're like, Oh yeah, what assumption can we fit for this protocol to work? And they just made up an assumption that doesn't exist in computer science and just said, yeah, that'll do.
0: (laughs) Chad actually had a great conversation with, uh, with Brian uh, on, on Twitter spaces. Maybe like, I want to say like, three or four months ago or something like that it, it was really interesting it, it, it went it, on for a while and he it, he left it was basically being time. like <laughs> it was
3: because like one of the funny things about it is that like came out as part of that conversation was that like they always talk about relayers and what's the other thing relayers and something else, oracles I mean, oracles and how they can't collude He basically admitted business.
1: that they had to that they had to adopt a, a, a four chain like bond system
3: for their relayers yeah. Right, they had no mechanism to decentralize because they, they rely on these ideas of rel- relayers and oracles to like maintain the security of these assets because like, they can't collude
2: or whatever. But in reality... Yeah, like, but that's a to... made-up assumption. It didn't exist in computer science. You can't assume that... You can only assume that like a certain majority can't collude.
3: No, no, no. It's, it's, and it's just... even worse than that. It's worse than that because who, oh, okay. the relayers, who the relayers are or who the oracles are is determined by their multi-sig. And they have the ability to... to oh, I didn't to... know that. To remove or add any relayers or oracles that they see fit,
2: right? fantastic.
3: So it's not even, it's not even as, as, as good as what you're describing right there. <laughs> it's actually much,
2: fantastic.
3: Much, much worse than that.
2: So and it's a essentially. It,
3: it really is. And then I asked him the question of, like, well, how, how are you going to decentralize this? The guy's answer to me was, uh, I don't know, the DAO will figure it out. That's what he said to me. <laughs> I was like, the DAO will figure it out. What the fuck? <laughs>
2: <Great>. <laughs> when, when that, the always <laughs> that always <laughs> inspires confidence. That always inspires confidence. Or the, we, we say- could
0: adopt the Thor chain's mechanism to, to secure it <laughs> when pressed for it. Right, and, then and then it was pretty little, funny. Then why don't you just
3: build door chain, which already exists at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, but,
2: but then why do you need the complexity of having the relayers and oracles? You just need to have one of them.
3: Right. 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 Anyways, enough, I don't mean to shit on another project. I kind of hate doing it. Yeah. You, you, you goaded me into it and I fell into the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Sorry about that.
0: to the Layers of Europe people being there. But... Yeah, Brian's nice guy. He, he's yeah. just a little misled, maybe. Uh, I brought up Ellis from the audience. Maybe I asked a question. Hey,
5: Hey guys, um, good discussion. I had a question around the synth caps raising those because my understanding is kind of as the synth caps are raised um, to create more space for savers, um, you know, we you have something called protocol on liquidity that would that would be turned on that would allow the sort of the nodes and the, and the protocol to to sort of um, allow for scaling of those pools. My question is, is like how does this how does this increasing leverage in the system add more risk and are the I think my concern is that the nodes it, tend to be incentivized towards leveraging up and adding more risk to the system. And and in one level, I want to believe this is like totally going to work. On another level, it's scary as hell. So I was wondering if you could uh, maybe talk about the risks that go up as um, we you know we hit like say eighty percent synth uh, synth cap and like and then protocol and liquidity. Like what would happen beyond that? If, or what sort of attack vectors open up there or increase as yeah. we hit that? No, it's
3: a fair and valid question. Uh, so there's two risks to be thinking about within that within the context of that right like two high level things and we can you can break into like the, the details of each individual one one is the increased risk to the lps so the higher the centralization of the network uh, the centralization per pool the more of a kind of a leverage room position that the lps are taking the more room price exposure they're taking versus the asset exposure. That's the risk that the LPs would be taking, right? And that's part of the reason why, if the network were to go to eighty I'm not saying it will, or, or that I'm saying we should go there, but just hypothetically, if it were. Um, one of the arguments for that, for that is just that the POL itself would, would be basically the, the LP of the network. And, and regular dual LPs would more or less go away, and they would just become savers people. And then the, the protocol itself would take on the, the dual sided. Uh, that's the first part. The second part is, well, how do we know that the, the the NIC has enough value to, to back the value of the synths of the, of the savers, right? And so in the, in the example of when, when the POL is enabled, effectively you're using the price chain, the, 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 um, the pool plus the value of the reserve. So in the scenario where hypothetically there was um, a 50% synth utilization, how much of a price shift of Rune going down does it has to happen before the, there's not enough value to support the value of the collateral? And in that scenario, I think that the, the number is like you know thirteen point something X. I can't remember off the top of my head because it's been a while. But about, about thirteen X of a price change to, to 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 go through the value of the pool and then also the value of the reserve. If you went higher than that and you went to like an eighty percent synthialization, utilization, the price change would be about like an eight point I think eight point six or eight point three or something like this. Uh, to, to trigger that scenario that of that that quote unquote disaster scenario of of the are our or, or the value of the census greater than the value of the assets backing it effectively. Um, and so that becomes like this the, the, the debate that the community should have, right? It's like how much risk is too much risk and how much risk is not enough risk and, and there's a, there's a there's a balance to be struck there. I mean even in the context of like if you look at rune's price historically speaking, if you look at Um, when the the network was exploited, right, back in a year and a half ago, in the the earliest days of of beta, what shift did we see in that scenario relative to Bitcoin? And the answer is about, I think it's like 4.8x price change in that particular example, right, of like exploits, lost funds, stopped the network for a few months to kind of reevaluate security, blah, 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 and figure out what the best way of moving forward. And then another kind of example of like a huge price shift in, in, in B- Rune's history would be like this, the regular move from bull market to bear market because Bitcoin went from sixty thousand dollars a coin to you know sixteen thousand dollars a coin, and Rune went from I think twenty or twenty one dollars per coin down to a, basically a dollar at the at the at more or less the, bol- the bottom. And what does that price change relative to Bitcoin? That's about a five point I think it's about five five point three point three three price change. So in B- Rune's history, we've never seen anything greater than a five. And the most extreme examples. We've seen like a 5x price change of like exploits of bear markets, like this kind of like extreme examples of of, of large price changes relative to to Bitcoin. Uh, And so if we go to 80% centralization and we're going down at like 8.3 below whatever the number actually is, uh, then like, you know, is that the, is that, Do we feel confident about that as a community or not? And people can have different viewpoints of whether or not 80% is too much or whether or not 50% is too much, or whether or not 30% is too much. Like everybody can come down this where they want. And I I have my opinion and you have your opinion and that's well and good, but this is what we want to understand. This is what I want, especially validators to understand is this is the risks at hand that we're talking about. Do the math, do your homework, understand these, these concepts and then come down to where you think as a validator, we should be moving towards as a community.
5: Yeah, and I think I, I often hear about this referred, you know, talk to in terms of like capital efficiency, like wanting to make the network more capital efficient. Um, right. I just don't know if, if we're if we're considering like risk efficiency as well here, where uh, you know people will not necessarily want to hold the rune asset or or go into this network knowing that the the protocol itself has become, and you know maybe the general public starts to disagree with the nodes or that's, say, "I, it's just too much risk," and now the price of rune goes yeah. down or whatever.
3: 100 percent. that is totally a valid perspective and maybe the nodes think this is not risk this is not too risky and maybe you as a rune holder think that it's too risky and so you chose to sell your rune or whatever that's totally valid like that's that's part of the voting process and sometimes like you can vote with your rune just by buying more or selling it right and and validators vote with their with their rune to 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 vote for like you know changes in the protocol in a sense so that's totally valid right and that's something we have to kind of like Together, you know, as a community to figure out what we feel as a community is the best thing. Uh, for right now, personally, I wanna see us go to 50%. And the reason why that is, is because it allows us to turn on the POL without um, downside to the, to the room price, without self-pressure in the room asset. But also there's a secondary reason, that is because at a 50% utilization, the protocol makes the largest percentage of the yield from the pools, right? Because if the protocol holds 50% of the pool from a dual LP perspective, and it's making 50% of the the savers yield because they only earn half their yield and the, the LP, AKA the POL makes the other 50%. That means that the protocol itself is earning 75% of the yield from the pools, right? Which is, you know, a high percentage, which obviously is good for the protocol. The protocol likes this for obvious reasons. And so you can get to a scenario that wouldn't be this year or maybe not even next year, but you can get to a scenario where the amount of yield the network is producing from that 75% is Greater than the block that are being emitted from the reserve itself, and so then you get to a, to a really fascinating situation where not only is the protocol earning a bunch of money, but it's effectively pulling rune out of circulating supply and putting it back into the reserve, reducing the circulating supply of rune itself. Right, but if you were to go up to eighty percent, you wouldn't be at seventy-five percent of the of the yield of the pool. You'd be, I think, it's closer to uh, sixty or sixty-five percent. I can't remember the number off top of my head. Uh, um, but yeah, it'd be sixty-five percent because you're holding twenty percent, and you're getting half of that to 60 percent. Yeah, so you'd be getting sixty percent of the yield, but you're you're not um you're not deploying as much capital into the pools because you only need to deploy twenty percent instead of fifty percent. So like, uh, it could get to this kind of funny and fascinating situation where the pro- the POL becomes not only the dual set LP of the network, but also just effectively taking its yield and just like, you know, removing it from circular supply, like that would be really kind of quite kind of fascinating and 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 by the way the other benefit of that if you if you haven't already figured it out is that the more room that exists in the reserve the safer the synths get right because right now the the reserve effectively has like i think like 35 of the of the supply of room because it's 500 500 million in total it's do the math real quick uh yeah 34 of the of the supply of room and so if more rune is being taken out of circulating supply and it's putting into their, and we go up to, you know, 200 million rune gone from, uh, from 34% to 40%. And so now the ability for the network to, to back the value of the sense just increased because, because the uh, amount amount of rune that it has has been increasing as a percentage of the total rune in supply. So that it also becomes true with like lending as well, right? As lending, people are buying up Rune and burning a huge quantity of Rune and reducing the circulating supply. That means that the, that the percentage of Rune that, that the reserve has also increases. So in effect, like if Rune starts to become deflationary, just from the, the POL earning all that re- revenue and Rune becomes deflationary because of the lending design and protocol where we're just removing Rune from the, from the circulating supply, that inherently creates more safety or makes it more safe for the network to be able to back that those 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 scents and those sabers does that make sense
5: yeah it does i was curious if togrel has any thoughts on this
2: sorry i i, I disconnected a little bit for the last minute uh mm-hmm. what, what was the question
5: oh just uh, i guess the security of the yeah the overall uh economic design as travis was, was talking about but but i think um the there is definitely a sweet spot, Chad. Yeah. And you know, maybe it is 50%, maybe it's maybe it's higher. Um, but uh, it's an interesting thing because I think we've never seen this before in crypto, cryptocurrency, as far as I know, in an economic d- dynamic like this. So I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out.
3: Yeah. There definitely are. It's it, 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 for sure it's a novel concept and a novel design, and it breaches on new ideas we haven't seen or tested in, in the crypto space before. Um, but I think the, the value of what it's offering, uh, is supremely valuable, to, not just for the floor chain community, but for the, the greater crypto industry. I think that's um, worth exploring, experimenting with.
0: Cool. Let's, uh, let's just do one last question here from its brand, and then we can wrap up for today. So, hey, Brian.
5: Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey very great good, good things. Good. Yeah, I just got one question. Um, I think I, I've looked into Thorchain recently and I really like it a lot. Like I've been looking for like, you know, really strong cryptos to put my money in, in the bear market, and I really like Thorchain. Um and I think it's very useful for people who use MetaMask and Trust Wallet and people that don't want to use exchanges. But I just got one uh small question is uh do you guys think like how confident are you that like big exchanges in the future with a lot of volume will be using Thorchain every day and like and how do you plan on like gaining trust with like big centralized exchanges to use the application as not just like private users with metamask and trust wallet, but like really big exchanges as far as Binance, Weeble, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah,
1: I can speak to that one. So basically they don't have to trust us and they can just go and see for themselves. If they send Bitcoin to this address, they can receive back Ethereum to another address. That's something that they can test out with any quantity um, and you know we expect them to start small and start with little quantities, and that's actually how we saw people like um, you know when, during Trust Wallet during their integration. You know that any any developer, any anyone who operates an exchange or a wallet, you are essentially uh, beholden to your users when you when you cross into that sort of trusted land. Um, you, wallet users trust the Trust Wallet application not to like sniff their keys and post them to some server so that. You know, some developer can steal all their crypto. People exche- expect exchanges not to, you know, loan their crypto out or do that. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But if you are going to talk about in this um, in this like world of like you know these sort of trusted interactions between uh, people and and application developers, those application developers they have their reputation on the line whenever they go and integrate something. So Trust Wallet, for example, you know, we tell them, hey, look, this is the API, like. All you do is send crypto to this address and you'll receive back crypto at that address and so what do they do they test that they send a few test transactions and they say to themselves oh hey look this thing actually does work and through more conversations they you know they come to learn more they say well you know where does the yield come from like they'll they'll ask us questions about you know how how does this thing actually even work um and we you know point we answer questions we point them in the direction of the white paper um, and we just talk to them, and and through that, through that sort of experience, we come to like a shared understanding where they, for whatever reason, trust Thorchain. Um, I can't tell you why everyone will or will not trust Thorchain, but all I can do is say that you know the the team at Nine Realms and the core team, we do our best to educate people on why you should trust Thorchain. Um, and then so from there, people will start to integrate once they realize that Thorchain is a source of reliable liquidity. And so, you know, it's not like we want to go out and tell centralized exchanges, hey, you should use us, you know, but I, I don't think that that's really like, th- that's not our prerogative to do. Th- centralized exchanges will start to realize once like every wallet has integrated them and has, is allowing people to swap, um, you know, that, that, that's a, that that's an important thing, that, that's, that there's good high quality liquidity on ThorChain. So they might start to like, uh, basically, source liquidity from Thorchain, um, and that that's something that they may do. You know, they may they may even um, allow people to like swap within their app directly on Thorchain and take an affiliate fee that is greater than or equal to what they currently charge on their exchange. Like, what do they care if they, if you're using their order book or Thorchain's AMM, as long as they get paid, right? So that I think that's just like the the general approach that we're taking is kind of like as the dominoes fall um people will just realize ThorChain is a trustable place to go. It's it's a place that you feel like you can send your Bitcoin because you know you'll receive back Ethereum because it's done that for hundreds of thousands of other people before. And you know that's just kind of like you know it has a reputation. It has a track record. We like to we like to come up on stage here and talk about the definitions of trust, trustless, minimize trust. But I think, you know, the, from the philosophical perspective, we can all agree at the end of the day, everyone has to trust something or we're not or nothing is real. Right. So, you know, I, I think that there is sort of like those boundaries where it's like um, user end users kind of trust that either their exchange or their wallet developer, wallet developers trust ThorChain. And then, you know, no one, ThorChain doesn't have to trust anyone because we're a completely you know, enclosed self-sustaining system that doesn't have any external dependencies. And so there's a very clear chain of, you know, what's going to happen if I take this action um, with Thorchain.
0: And I'll just wrap up by saying that uh, it it takes a a long process for them to gain that trust for for the developers at like TrustWallet in this example to understand that Thorchain is this trust-minimized system and to gain their own trust for it. Like, it it took a, a little over a year for that trust wallet integration to actually happen from like the first conversations to the actual like shipped live and it's not even fully live yet for everybody on ios right so uh like they, they've been doing research on Thorchain for basically the past year due diligence uh you know tearing it apart figuring it out and then actually implementing it in the app and that's Just that, like, that's, that's what these companies be able to say, like, hey, this is a safe source of swaps to then turn around and offer that to people who are trusting them in in their app, right? So everyone's going to have to do their own due diligence. And, you know, it'll take a lot of time for, for people to gain that trust. And that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to is just, like, time and experience and as more people use it and as more people understand uh more people will just understand what thorchain is and what it does and and the assumptions that they come with using thorchain rather than like another bridge or swap service or centralized service so yes and
1: and that's that's exactly why we do these twitter spaces and why we get up and talk every friday about thorchain is because we believe strongly that you know people uh People can trust it. We don't. We don't think that they should. They should do their own research. They should verify that. But we get up and we talk about this. We have guests like Togruel on the show to, to to rigorously debate and challenge our ideas and and our assumptions, so that we don't make any. You know, so we can make as few mistakes as possible when designing this. So, I guess with that, that's a that's a good um, segue to thank Togruel, especially for your time for coming here and for for helping us in our mission of making ThorChain, you know, the most trust minimized um, and, and, you know, the best, the best decentralized exchange. So we, we really appreciate, you know, the, the, the feedback and, you know, the um, you know, the, the rigorous intellectual debate. This has been, this has been really great. And, you know, I definitely know next time someone asks, you know, what, how does, how does, you know, ThorChain economically secured, like this is the Twitter space I'll be sending them.
2: Thanks for having
1: me, it was, I really enjoyed that. It. it was uh, loads of fun. And thanks, Chad, too, for leading that entire discussion. Your energy and ability to debate rigorously is is unmatched. So thanks, everyone.
3: Thanks, Pluto, and thanks, uh, Togo, for coming out. Awesome,
1: I, okay, I think... Um, Uh, Finley or Cal, the host might be having connection issues, but um, Cal, if you're there, I think we can wrap up this space now. Thanks everybody.